In this episode of Influencers, Hearst President and CEO Steve Swartz. Everybody's looking to add new growth and sustainable growth uh, in this new world of uh, streaming. Many people find their most trusted source of news is their local uh, anchor team. One of the things we inherited from our founder, he was never sitting still. He was always looking for how to take uh, the skills that we had, say writing and uh, selling advertising and moving into new areas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Steve Swartz, CEO of Hearst. Steve, how are you doing? Uh, great, Andy. Great to see you. So we're here at Hearst headquarters in New York City. Thank you so much for having us. And I want to start off by asking you to paint a broad brush picture of your company. Everyone knows about Hearst as a legacy media company with the newspapers, of course, and television, magazines as well, but you also own a lot of B2B businesses and really grown out in that area. So give us the broad look at your company. Sure. Well, first of all, we're 135 years old uh, this year. As you say, started in the newspaper business, still big in the newspaper business. We own the San Francisco Chronicle, the Houston Chronicle, uh, obviously moved into the magazine business and own just tons of uh, iconic brands. Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, Car and Driver, just to name a couple. Uh, local television stations, we own 33 stations around the, around the country, big markets, Boston, Orlando, Sacramento, uh, cable television. You know, we are the Walt Disney Company's 50-50 partners in the A&E networks, which are A&E History and Lifetime. We are Disney's minority partner in ESPN. They own 80 and we own uh, 20. So that's about half the company, which is consumer media. And as you say, that's where we got our start. And we're still very proud to be such a big player in that. But over many years, and uh, perhaps more aggressively over the last decade, we built a whole other side of the company in business information, uh, B2B data and software companies. The biggest of those is the, the Fitch Group, which uh, uh, the biggest business is the Fitch Bond Rating Company. We own five uh, uh, fabulous healthcare uh, data and software companies, uh, a couple of aviation uh, data and software companies, some automotive and trucking uh, data and software companies. And so that uh, a portion of the company is now roughly uh, half the company's profits. A lot to follow up on there. Um, Hearst, of course, is a private company. You've worked here full time uh, for over two decades, worked at a joint venture before that. You were a business journalist, which I love, and we'll get into that a little bit as well. I've been CEO for about nine years. Yep. Um, let's start off with the media business because you did, and I did as well, to be fair. Yeah. Um, what is the most important part of that? How do you see that? How do you manage it? How are you deploying resources there, Steve? Well, look, every aspect of the consumer uh, media business is, is on a path of discovery 
uh, for sustainable growth. Obviously, technology has changed and to some degree disrupted uh, the previous business models, which worked so well for so many aspects of the industry. So whether it's newspapers pushing more into digital subscriptions, whether it's magazines pushing more into various aspects of e-commerce or in what we call membership, where we combine a print and a premium digital subscription, uh, whether it's our uh, television stations moving more into these so-called free-to-the-consumer fast channels that you can find on Roku or Tubi or Pluto uh, or uh, our a &E networks uh, making similar moves and, and also becoming a production company for some of the big streamers like our partner uh, Disney or, or ESPN uh, pursuing new growth with ESPN Plus and other initiatives. Everybody's looking to add new growth and sustainable growth uh, in this new world of uh, streaming and digital and, and, and what have you. So just quickly, tick off some of the newspapers that you own and, and how is that going? I mean, obviously that's very difficult with the subscription, but, but it's sort of more recognized and evolved, I think, than TV. And we'll get back to that in a second, but just newspapers, if you sure. will. Well, uh, you know, we own the San Francisco Chronicle, Houston Chronicle, San Antonio Express News, the Albany Times Union here in New York, and, and we own a number of papers in, in Connecticut, uh, Greenwich all the way up to New Haven, and, uh, and, then, and then several other papers around the country. The newspaper business, I think, is, is at least for us on an upswing. Obviously, there's, there have been difficulties uh, with the loss of a lot of the pre-printed advertising, with advertising shifting more to uh, uh, digital. Uh, but you know, newspapers are a high value. If they're done well, it's a high value product. And what we've learned is both in print and digital, we can get the readers, our core customers, to step up and pay more. So I think that business model is evolving uh, from one that was largely advertising supported to one that's largely subscriber driven. And I skipped over magazines and I really shouldn't have because really I think you could argue that for many years the most high profile employee at this company was Helen Gurley Brown. No question. With Cosmo. So, and John Mac Carter and, and John Housekeeping. Mac, right, exactly. So how are, how are magazines doing? You know, look, they also uh, went through a tough period, uh, losing a decent amount of the newsstand since we all carry so much uh, uh, entertainment in our pocket with the phones. They were also hit by the move, not completely away uh, of advertisers from print, but obviously a shift toward uh, digital. Uh, but I'm, I'm very bullish about our magazine company today. You take a, a title like Good Housekeeping, uh, it is doing a thriving business online as a trusted source of what to buy. Uh, you know, we've been in that business for over a hundred years with the Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval and the Good Housekeeping Institute, the test kitchens. So uh, people are flocking to goodhousekeeping.com to say, what washer dryer should I get? Uh, uh, what, uh, what mattress should I buy? What, uh, what dishwasher should I buy? And uh, uh, a Good Housekeeping uh, has its reviews and lays out uh, various options. And then through the Good Housekeeping site, the, the, uh, the readers can connect and, and make purchases. 
Do you guys still have, didn't you have the test kitchens right here in this they building? Are, they are still here. They're still here. I've got to go down there and check them out. You should. So television, two parts to that. You have the stations and then the investments in the networks. Sure. Um, well, both, they're not just investments. Well, you know, we actually, right. in a partnership with ABC, yeah. back of circa 1980, actually started from scratch what are now the A&E History and Lifetime channels. And then we had the opportunity to invest in ESPN back in around 1990 and have been their partner ever since. That was a home run investment. Well, my predecessor, uh, Frank Benick, uh, in his almost 30 years of running this company, did so much to transform the company. We've really had two larger-than-life uh, leaders of our company, obviously William Randolph Hearst and then Frank Benick, and Frank made that investment, and we're so glad he did. So I, I did mention that the Internet, maybe um, the, the impact of the Internet on those businesses it has been less severe or less evolved, maybe, than on print. How is that panning out? I mean, is streaming going to cannibalize or kill all those businesses? And where do you, what's your thinking? Well, I, I, first of all, you know, unique uh, quality content has always been a good business and will continue to be. And whether it's our stations and the unique role they play in their communities, uh, whether it's uh, uh, all the unique content that the History Channel, a &E, or Lifetime does, or, or clearly uh, the unique content that ESPN does. I think that we're evolving now where the business for many years was solely the so-called bundle, the core package of channels that you get from uh, Comcast or DirecTV, Verizon Fios, and now from a number of streaming sources like YouTube or Fubo or what have you. Uh, and then uh, uh, technology has allowed certain numbers of customers to say they don't want that bundle, they want to make more discreet choices. And so pretty much every um, uh, television brand is now doing something in the world of direct-to-consumer streaming, uh, both in the paid, and that's where the big players like Disney is with Disney Plus, uh, what have you. But again, there are also uh, great opportunities in free to the consumer on these platforms such as Roku, and, and uh, you know we're taking advantage of that as well. As far as the local stations go, Steve, that you guys own, how is viewership holding up in this day and age? Oh, you know, very good. And, you know, we have expanded the number of hours that, that we, uh, we serve the markets. In many of our markets, we, we start doing news at 4.30 in the morning, and we're on all the way up to 11.30 uh, uh, at night. So uh, I think if you take it in aggregate, uh, the audience for news at the local level is very strong. And, you know, survey after survey shows that uh, many people find their most trusted source of news is their local uh, anchor team. One thing your company's been very good at over the years is partnerships, and you mentioned that. Um, unlike a lot of other companies, I mean, partnerships are hard to do. Um, have you had conversations or explored partnerships with some of the new Silicon Valley companies? And is that something that you need to think about doing? Look, we're always looking to work, and you know we do work with Google and Facebook and and Apple News and what have you. I think that they're they're a very important part of the ecosystem. So so absolutely. And and so how how much as a private company, how much information do you disclose to the public in terms of how the company's doing? I, I saw that you had a great year last year. 
How can you quantify that for us? Well, um, you know, we, uh, we do it. I write an annual letter to our employees, obviously. Anything you write on the internet uh, uh, circulates broader than that. And, you know, we, uh, uh, last year we had record results in, in, in our core measure. We, uh, we measure ourselves primarily by after-tax cash. And uh, uh, we had an all-time record of after-tax cash last year. Uh, we have uh, approximately 12 billion uh, of revenue, and you know uh, the company is very financially strong. Before we get to the B2B side, I mentioned the company is privately owned. It's the Hearst Foundation, which is was is connected to the family. How can you explain what, how the, the ownership of the company works? William Randolph Hearst, when when he died in 1951, uh, left uh, uh, the company ownership to a couple of trusts, a family trust and a foundation. Uh, the tax laws changed uh, somewhere in the early 70s, and a foundation could no longer own a big part of a corporation, and so. Uh, uh, the foundation was bought out by the company, uh, and so today uh, the ownership is is a is is one of the trusts that Mr. Hearst set up, and the uh, his not-for-profit foundation we call it the Hearst Foundations because it has two entities uh, is a separate entity, but both of them uh, are overseen by a, the same group of 13 trustees. Uh, which are comprised of five members of Mr. Hearst's family and eight members of management. Excellent. That's great. Great to understand. Now, speaking of William Randolph Hearst, what we just talked about, he'd probably be pretty familiar with. But what we're about to talk about, he would be less familiar with. So the B2B businesses, how did you get into them? What are they? How do they fit together? How do you decide which ones to get into going forward? Well, first of all, I'd like to think that he'd be very proud of this because uh, you know one of the things we inherited from our founder, he was never sitting still. He was always looking for how to take uh, the skills that we had, say writing and uh, selling advertising and moving into new areas. I mean, first of all, starting in San Francisco and then boldly moving across the United States to take on Joseph Pulitzer here in New York and then moving across the country. And at one point in time, I think one out of every five households in America read a Hearst newspaper, but then he pushed on into magazines and you know he tried uh, uh, motion pictures that didn't quite work out. He tried uh, the, uh, the, the cartoons like Walt Disney didn't work out as well. You know, we did all kinds of things. He founded the first newspaper syndication operation. And then again, he tried radio and we still have a few stations. And he bought one of the first television stations in 1948 before he died. So from him, we got this, this notion that you keep pushing into new areas of growth. You don't necessarily give up on anything you've been good at in the past, like newspapers or magazines, but you keep pushing. And then, uh, and then, you know, when Frank Benick took over the company in 1979, he kind of channeled Mr. Hearst's energy and started pushing us. Uh, the B2B really uh, evolved from trade publishing. Back in the day, we were publishing magazines like American Druggist for pharmacists and Motor for car uh, repair professionals 
And uh, we still publish a magazine called Floor Covering Weekly. Uh, Floor Covering the Weekly. About the carpet uh, uh, industry. I and, have to um, subscribe to that one. <laughs> there you go. So um, out of that legacy, uh, some of the publishers of those businesses started to realize that they should be gathering data on their industries. And back in the day, would publish it in big books. And then when the inter internet came, started putting that data online. So uh, that was the foundation. Uh, American Druggist gave way to a fabulous business that we own today called First Data Bank, which is the nation's uh, premier source of drug dosing and drug interaction uh, data, one of our five fabulous Hearst Health businesses. Motor went from a magazine to being a trusted source of data uh, for the automobile industry on how to fix cars, what the cost of fixing a car would be, what the estimated time it takes to fix a car. And so it's a very high value data business to this day. So that was the start of it. About 10 years ago, uh, Frank Benick and I talked to our board about the fact that at that point we were getting probably about 90% of our profits from our consumer media business, mostly the television businesses. And yet we knew something was going to happen to at least to some degree slow the amazing growth that television had had over, over the prior decades. And knowing what had happened to newspapers and magazines, there was going to be some technological development. So we felt that the best way, in addition to you know, continuing to work every day to strengthen our core consumer media businesses, was to build up this other side of the house. So we've made uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 or $12 billion of acquisitions uh, during that period, um, uh, the, the biggest uh, of those businesses, which we bought uh, with investments over a several year period, is the Fitch Group, uh, known primarily for the Fitch uh, bond rating business. Can we talk about Fitch? And tell me when you bought that, because of course those businesses took a big hit in 2008, 2009, but have come roaring back. I mean, by those businesses, I'm, I'm referring to the competition. Yeah, Moody's and S&P as well. I know yes. about them a little yes. bit. I don't know so much about Fitch. So when did you buy it and how's it doing? Uh, uh, we, we invested in stages. Uh, uh, Fitch was, was owned by a fabulously successful French uh, businessman. And uh, we bought a stake, uh, our first stake in 2006 and then bought another stake in 2009. And then over a period of years ending in 2018, we, we now own 100% of Fitch and it is doing great. I think it is seen around the world as a very, very trusted source uh, on, on, on companies and, and the bond market around the world and, and countries uh, uh, sovereign. We were, we were the first ones to uh, issue the uh, downgrade uh, on the Russian sovereign uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the aftermath of the, uh, of the invasion of Ukraine. So just a, a very important global business. Is it a dogfight with those other two? I, I think uh, everybody does their own thing. Um, you know, we have just fabulous analysts, and you know, their 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 decisions are governed by the data and by their own expertise and analysis. Healthcare is another area you guys have gone into. Talk about that a little bit, Steve. Again, very proud of that. We have five uh, fabulous uh, healthcare data and software uh, companies. I already mentioned FDB. Uh, we have a company called MCG, uh, which is uh, the leading provider of, of, of uh, clinical data to both the insurance industry 
and to the hospital industry, and it serves as a vital uh, cog in making sure uh, that healthcare is uh, is adequately reimbursed uh, by the by the insurance uh, uh, industry. We have another fabulous company called HomeCare Homebase, which is the leading software system on which home health agencies are run. And you know, this is a big trend in healthcare where we gonna, you know, the elderly uh, patients are treated in the hospital, but it's urgent that they be able to leave the hospital as quickly as they can so that there's not uh, chance of infection. Uh, they're obviously more comfortable being treated in their home and technology is allowing more and more of that treatment and home care home base is a big player. What else am I missing in the B2B side? I know there's a bunch of other businesses. What do you want to highlight? We, uh, well, we, uh, we are in the aviation uh, uh, with CAMP, which is the leading uh, provider of, of maintenance and repair data uh, for mostly the private jet uh, market. CAMP also owns ILS, a business we bought from Boeing, which is uh, sort of like the Craigslist of aviation parts and services. Uh, we own two fabulous uh, automotive uh, data businesses. I mentioned Motor. We also own BlackBook, which is one of the great sources of uh, used car uh, pricing. And our latest business, uh, Noragon Systems, uh, we, we bought last year. That is a major player in, in trucking repair. It's a, it's a fabulous data and software company uh, that tells uh, repair shops how to diagnose and then fix what's wrong with big trucks. Sounds like the common denominator is data, information. Are you going to be making more acquisitions going forward? And do these all fit together? Does one business leverage or enhance another business? Well, we, we believe that uh, when you're as diversified as we are, you have to give a great deal of autonomy. And we try to buy businesses uh, uh, that, are, that are very well run. We take the old Warren Buffett uh, 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 school on, on that one, and we've been pretty successful with that. Certainly, there's learning on technology, on, on sales practices that we do share across the group. Uh, the answer to the other question is yes, we, we are very much in the market to buy uh, more B2B data and software companies, particularly in the areas where we already have great expertise, finance, healthcare, aviation, uh, uh, automotive, and trucking. Are there privacy concerns? I mean, are you looking at like consumer information and then using that on the business side? Uh, we don't mix. Uh, you know, each each business obviously has its own data and and its own needs to uh, protect the privacy of that data. Let's talk about the company writ large, Steve. And this is a big honking place. I don't know how many employees do you have. What's the mission going forward? How is COVID? And what are you looking to do going forward? Well, we, we have about uh, 23,000 employees across the world. You use the word mission, and I think that's very key to our culture. You know, from the original business of a newspaper, uh, I think a mission service to the community and service to the broader uh, world, it, it really is very much behind a lot of what the company does and, and really uh, all of our uh, uh, businesses. You know, look, the, the COVID was uh, just a, a terrible strain on everybody, not just our folks, but, but everybody. And so we're very conscious that it was a, it was a healthcare strain. It was a mental health strain. Uh, it was, people had to find new ways to get their work done. We're heartened at how well we, our, 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 our colleagues did to find new ways to get their work done. 
I think out of this, uh, there's a, a new level of flexibility for many jobs. Uh, we still believe that there's great value uh, to people gathering together, uh, but what the frequency of that will be, I think it's still a, still a work in progress. You wrote about diversity and inclusion going back um, years, but in particular after the murder of George Floyd and going forward from that point. You've made some progress. I think you indicated you'd like to make some more on that. Oh, no question. I think we're doing really well at the entry level, uh, even at the mid-level. I, I think we certainly have work to do, as many companies do, at the higher levels. We don't have a lot of turnover. Uh, people really, really love this place and tend to stay a very long time. But, you know, we need to do better. But, you know, we, we put a report out. We put our data out every year. Uh, and I think if you look at our report, which is online, we have a tremendous uh, number of initiatives going, and I am convinced we'll get where we need to be, which is to have all levels of our company truly reflect the communities that we're serving. We keep talking about the fact that Hearst is a private company, and yet you're competing against all these other public companies. What are the advantages or disadvantages? What's that like competing against these publicly traded entities? Well, I think the advantages are we're not pressured by, say, investors who have an agenda that we may not agree with. Uh, you know, we, we're not pressured by uh, uh, someone who would take a stake and say, well, you know, we want you to move out of television or we want you to move out of newspapers. You know, we can make those decisions and we believe in all of our businesses and uh, some of them, you know, need some patience uh, as they make uh, a, a transition to a different world. And, you know, we're in a position to be patient uh, but, you know, we, again, we had record results last year. We've had record results most of the last uh, decade and, and, and well beyond that. Uh, so we, we hold ourselves to a pretty high standard, uh, but, but, but we, can, we can make our own decisions. And, uh, again, we're, we're very much believers in, in every one of the industries we're in. doesn't sound like an IPO is in the offing. Uh, no. Okay, good. One word answer. Um, you are recovered business journalist, which I love, one of us, um, which I love about Steve Swartz. Um, what did you learn about being a reporter and then a page one editor at the Wall Street Journal that informs you as far as your job goes today, Steve? Well, I, I think uh, journalists and, and particularly business journalists at their best are, uh, are constantly asking questions, constantly learning. Just the nature of the job forces you to learn about different subjects and to be able to master them enough to write about them and have the whole world read what you're writing. So there's, there's a certain uh, enforcement there of did you really come to understand it? And so I think all those skills, uh, listening, uh, gathering lots of facts, and then having to make conclusions across a wide swath of industries, I think is, is very helpful in, in trying to be part of the leadership of a company. Here, here. See, maybe there's some future for all of us business journalists out there. Uh, and final question, Steve. This program is called Influencers. So I'm curious as to how you see using your influence both today and going forward. Well, uh, one of the many things I've learned from, from Frank Benick, our chairman, Will Hurst, is just the importance of, of, of giving back and participating in the community. I, I uh, had the great fortune of serving as the co-chair of the Partnership for New York City, which is our business group here in New York that 
works with the mayor and the governor and all stakeholders, uh, elected officials, civic groups and what have you to try to just make this a better place to live and work. I, I had the, the great the privilege of being a vice chairman of New York Presbyterian Hospital and to see the work of Dr. Corwin, our CEO, and, and all of the, that they pulled us through this pandemic and uh, just seeing the, the miracles that they perform every day of saving people's lives. So I, I think it, it's important that a company like ours, and it's, it's, been, it's been true of us since the, since the beginning, that we really like to do a lot of community service, a lot of philanthropic work, and hope I can uh, continue that. All right, Steve Swartz, Hearst CEO, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to see you. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time.